Hello and welcome to Generation Balm for another week. I'm William, I'm here with my father Neil. Neil, how are you doing this afternoon? Very well. Excellent. Um, tonight we're speaking about something different and we are short a guest, so we're just doing the, the one-on-one and it's a topic that I think needs to be discussed. Um, I think the title we've, we've gone with is The Father-Son Guide to Mental Health. Um, after last um, edition with Simon Hogan, which was a fantastic chat, I think um, it'd be nice to get into a bit of a, a father-son conversation about um, some of the things that have happened in my life and your life and uh, I suppose as a, as a general thing across the world and how, how much of an explosive issue it really is. Um, well, it's amazing where it is now hmm. because it is so common and simple in some ways, but you know, I think I've said this before a couple of, I wonder what happened hundreds of years ago. Well, I think, I think the more I read about it, the more I know that it was just too hard and people were put in institutions and too bad, so sad. Yeah. And then we came up with some much more dramatic treatments. Lobotomy. Like, like you know, and shock treatments and all that sort of stuff. Because we all thought that this is not normal, so we've got to help you get through it. Mm. But the more I read about it, the more it looks to me that it is it is relatively normal. At some point in time, we've all got, we all have issues with you've got sore legs or you get a, get a cold or whatever. And it's not dissimilar with mental health, particularly in today's world. It's such a busy world. There's mm. billions of people. There's a place to find. There's a comfort in finding your place and a discomfort in not finding your place. Yeah, and then yeah. you, So there should be no surprise to us that we don't deal with all these things as relatively simply and kind of in a binary fashion that mm. so that there must be issues and, then, and the more you read about it the more you realize how probably a lot of the really high achieving people have got oh, absolutely. Have, have got some of the issues that they get over with or they don't or it, and or it sometimes drives them even to to do what they do so I mean for for me I'm kind of like I'm the I look for the line of least resistance and look for the outcome. So I think, no, it's all, it'll be okay. It's all okay. I try not to take it too seriously in some ways, but I but I can't do that, particularly with our experience. What well, you, yes. you and I have been through. Yeah. So it's um, I think it. I'm just hoping people might just get something out of it if we talk through it and say, okay, how do you, how do you deal with this? Well, that's that's the thing. It's been such a personal thing for such a long time, um, and probably why it was blanketed you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, and now it's sort of coming out that so many people do um, suffer, I suppose, or battle through uh, things like depression and anxiety. And But it is, at, at the base level, it's a very personal and almost it has been seen as an embarrassing and shameful uh, thing. I'm and we sure. can see in the good old days of stoicism, it was just get on with it and don't yeah. tell anyone and deal with it yourself. Whereas... <laughs> I think what we've learned is that that is the worst possible way to deal with it. The way to deal with it is to deal with it by discussing it and having people, hopefully empathetic people at least, listening to you and give them, helping you and give, finding a way and accepting that there are ways that you can treat it. So some of them will be just by working through it, but clearly there's a lot of pretty good um, medications now that can help people as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture of uh, treatments and I suppose it's just like any health issue um, there's always a mixture of, of treatments and, I mean, there's always the dominant way to do things. But, I mean, with mental health issues, it's definitely a combination. It has to be a combination. It can't just be you're, you're now on antidepressants, you're feeling fine. There's, there's a, like, time. There's uh, 
all these different factors that go into it. But I suppose I thought I should um, introduce uh, what we're actually talking about today. Um, and I think one of the things that spurred me on to go with this episode was your comment during the last episode with Simon Hogan, where you say, when you looked at me and you said, I know you've got some issues, but I really don't, I don't really know exactly what they are. And then Simon followed on after the episode talking about his father and how uh, they seem to hit a bit of a wall when they're talking about those sorts of things. And I think in that sort of relationship, be it a father-son, father-daughter, mother-daughter, or a father-figure and um, <coughs> younger person, that sort of thing, um, there is a wall that we seem to hit, a lot of people seem to hit, and it seems like it's about time we actually break through that. And Yeah, I must, I must admit that is me, because I'm... Your personality is your personality. I'm a kind of, I look, I look for the outcome. Well, how, how's this going to be solved? Yes. I go straight to that. Hopefully, straight to that. And then so with you, I've, I've never, I've always sort of, okay, well, you'll be right. Let's do that. So my question to you is, have has my attitude, even though I think I've learned a lot from having you four kids because we've grown, I've grown up with you to a degree, um, but... Was I open enough, or did I ask enough questions? Because even you know, even when you were going to school, I, I assume all was good and all was well. But mm. you, know, you have the odd, the odd issue, etc. So, was I empathetic enough? Or I mean, you know, this is as much anything for me as for other people to say. Okay, how, how do we deal with this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, in terms of empathy, of course, you're always there and always available. Um, but there was always. I remember driving to school with you to Burke Hall. Um, it must have been that awkward stage in our relationship where there wasn't much said in the car uh, going to my junior school, um, which is just an interesting thing with the father-son relationship. But it's just, it's, I suppose, approaching... There's always some awkward things that come up when you're growing up and it occurs at both ends, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, as a kid, I was very, I suppose, excitable, but... I think probably I had a few mood swings and that sort of thing, but I think my main thing was I was super excitable and at school I didn't quite fit in. Um, and I always felt the pressure um, with you being who you were and I was never, you know, that, that much of I was an okay sportsman. Um, but I think that, that impacted me and I, I think it's taken me, you know, a decade or whatever to realise that I've always had this massive fear of failure. And um, But in terms of what you did for me I think there's I don't know what else that, that's always a thing isn't it because it was a different time back then um, and there's always that wish to redo things but I think you showed a lot of you know you're always, you always showed a lot of care and you're always there and you weren't you know weren't particularly closed off and, and specifically yeah. you know when, when you went to like all you crazy 19 year olds did went to Thailand with all your yeah. mates and all of a sudden I get the call that I've got to go and help you because you've consumed too many fungi or whatever the hell they were <laughs> so you know and there was no doubt that I was more than happy to go and you know quite excited to go really and then find you and you're in that private hospital yeah, I, and I probably should before we go into that um just as a bit of context um I did speak about it last episode but um for anyone new listening um I've had issues with anxiety and depression and anxiety sort of um, was spurred on from about the age of 20 um, and I definitely had it in me pr prior to that but it was really set off um, when, I was in when I was in Laos and I had a, uh, an overly strong mushroom shake as I'm sure uh, many others have done when they're... Is this yeah. against the law? 
I guess you, you're admitting something here that I think yeah, in another country after, the door the fact, <laughs> <laughs> after the fact, I'm sure I'm sure I'll get away with it. I'm probably not the first. Um, but yeah, the the context of that was after that. I I well during that trip, it was very much I fell unconscious. I nearly jumped out of a window because of not me consciously wanting to do that, but it was whatever the chemical balance. Um, so that can't help you, can it? No, absolutely. And that's the thing. I, I, the rest of that trip, I was, um, my headspace was all over the shop. And I, I, was quick, I was going, I didn't know what depression and anxiety and that sort of stuff were. Um, well, that's good but, because that's, that was going to be my question. Did, were you aware that this was likely or were you suffering some of these symptoms then? Because so I, I, I didn't think you were. So that's No, well, not, not particularly. I definitely I was a socially anxious person. And I remember the first time I smoked like marijuana, I felt some paranoia come on and um but yeah it was it wasn't until after Lao and then i kept ending up back in hospital when i was over there it's not a great place to be in hospital um and it was just something i just couldn't like it was like this almost my blood running cold um and then finally i accepted once we got to pp island and i you know i accepted that and then it was when i had like four four coffees at the airport that i had a massive panic attack ended up in hospital and that's when the big fella over here flew in and walked in the door when I was sitting there watching The Graduate. And I was, like, it wasn't, it was, it was funny when you walked in, but it, the whole trip there was just, it was just this indescribable feeling of um, being controlled by something else. And it took me a bit longer after that yeah. trip to come back. And once things had settled down, um, seeing a psychiatrist and, um, being told that I was lucky and that. So, yeah. so this may not be the point of what yeah. we're trying to get at, but yeah. that leads me at being the suspicious guy. I, I go, what part do some of these illicit drugs play in mental health issues? Like, is it a generator? Is it an exacerbator? Or is it a contributor? Or is it just it's, part, part? It seems to me there's a lot of people who have had the two, one problem have had the other problem. Yeah. And I guess in some ways because you are feeling awful maybe you you do you you look for something to help you um but I, to me it doesn't look like it helps at all well it, it depends it depends on the person really doesn't it? it's it's all about how your brain chemistry and it's a mystery to um, you know the lay person i have no idea how my brain chemistry works but i just know i'm not my brain chemistry is not suited to me having a line of cocaine or taking mdma it's got to be a good thing doesn't it well, I suppose and you can only you can only work that out through experience or through I suppose a genetic strain of going well, you know, I know you've got the story of when you smoke some and you're not going to get arrested for admitting to admitting to this but I one yeah. doubt it and I thought I was at the gates of heaven and hell so <laughs> I didn't think marijuana was going to be too good for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm straight to paranoid. So. But I don't I think that's the thing like there are, people cover up you don't become addicted to cocaine or alcohol or anything like that without there being some other issues um, that are driven by maybe a lack of purpose or you, you have... Your yeah, exas- so, so that's a point. Maybe yeah. we get past that. That's, that yeah. Part of me says this is a contributor, and it probably is, but that's probably another issue altogether because yeah. there's no doubting that the genuine mental health issue is a, is there regardless of these other things. I've, I've yeah, probably introduced yeah, a red herring that I shouldn't have. Correct. Well, that's I, I'm just um, just going through the other two moments we had together. There was the uh, in Melbourne, it's probably 2013-14. I ended up in the emergency room in uh, at the Etworth, and that was a couple of weeks after I'd been to a music festival, just feeling run down. I thought I was. Uh, I think I told you I'm like I think I'm having a stroke, and 
obviously it was just again just a massive mm. panic attack and that led to me going to London um, things started pretty well and then went downhill and that was probably again you know that it's just for me there was definitely the lack of lack of care but that really stuck around um, from London during that period um, but yeah that, that's just a bit of a, a background and I suppose we were going on to um, you and I just asking each other questions to sort of um, I suppose maybe provide a framework for any other people out there who'd like to open up a, a pretty, I suppose it's an uncomfortable um, line of questioning. But um, yeah, I'll So ask, So right, yeah. right now, yeah. um, you know you've got some issues, but it seems to me that you function real, normally. I don't know what normally means, but yeah. well... Yeah, I mean... So am I overestimating the position? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's um, it's, a, it's a constant uh, battle to maintain levels, I suppose, and that uh, I can wake up some days and feel really awful. Um, and that's the thing with, with mental illness. Um, the more severe it is, the more you just... It, it becomes this whole hope of this is going to be a good day, and fortunately for me, time has passed. So it was in London, uh, near the back end of my trip. It was every day was pretty grey and pretty awful, um, and taxing. And I was tired and I was exhausted, and it was a lot of things that were. But now I think I have more good days than bad days. But with this sort of stuff, it can be you know like prolonged, like a day where you just like I just feel awful. I don't really want to do do anything. Um, and but then most of the, most of the other time, I'm okay, and you know like, um, then there'll be the usual triggers that I've got like maybe having a few too many beers or having having a coffee, not being able to deal with caffeine or being in a stressful situation. You start to realise they're sort of the the triggers, and you know unfortunately they're quite normalised. So and you want to enjoy your life. So it's really it's, it's a real balancing. Yeah, it's balancing. interesting. I've been reading quite a few articles, and the the interesting one is on the Sarah Wilson one. Yes, the girl who yeah, yeah. Get off the sugar. It's really very eye-opening. Like, she's had, she's had these issues all her life. And yes. she's gone on yeah. and done some really good stuff. But clearly, if you speak to her, she's, well, it's day by day, and I feel a bit this and I feel a bit that. So I suppose, in a way, it's a matter of accepting... You've got to, You've just got to deal with it, I suppose, isn't it? Like it well, well, it is. That's, that's the thing. It is, and as much as, you know... Um, you can hope and wish that it'll go away or you'll, you'll you know, like you just get over your little burst or your wave or as Sarah Wilson calls it, the spiral of uh, an anxious spiral um, or a wave of a depressive episode or that sort of thing. It, it does become something that uh, you have to deal with. Like it's not something that's... Um, yeah, so yeah. the advice to all of us then when that's happening or what, what would she have said to her people around her? Well, I suppose, yeah, if you've got a, a close-knit community the whole thing is to be open about it and for a lot of people that's uh, exceedingly difficult so you almost got to find your your pocket yeah, that you can yeah. yeah and that's releasing a bit of the pressure valve um i suppose i should ask a question to you um how did you react to uh that first call um from me when i was in thailand uh when i revealed how i was feeling oh i just thought he's been bloody silly and how can i get there to help him that was, was our discussion with your, with your mother, obviously. Um, but we probably didn't think 
that it was a well, even though we knew you were in a bit of danger, but it, we thought by that time you'd probably go. Well, no, we'll see. It took a couple of days for us to, you know, we knew you were not that well. Yeah. Um, but then I'll just go over and see how you're going. But I, I was pleased that when I found you that you were in. You seemed to be in pretty good condition. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Relatively, but <laughs> I suppose it was once we were there to help you. But. Yeah, and uh, as I said before, it's it's not a it's generally not a constant. It's not a constant thing, but it does come in those waves, um, which is why for some people from the outside looking in can go, oh, well, you were fine a minute ago or you were fine yeah. half an hour ago and now you're you know, a bit reluctant or you're just holding back a bit. Um, did, did you discuss anything with mum? Was there any sort of suspicion that it was... Because I remember we talked about it, it was the malaria tablets. Yeah, which no, was, we, we, we yeah. thought straight away you probably overdosed on some bloody stupid magic mushrooms. It was what our guess was, <laughs> <laughs> which is fairly accurate as it turns out. But, yeah. Oh, we, we were firstly just concerned. And what do we do and how do we help you? It was, we yeah. were more, more, much more concerned about that than what had actually happened. Yeah. Was yeah. Really, yeah that's, that's under pressure. That's what you do, I think. What's it? I go straight to the outcome. How can we help this? So if you can get on a plane and get there and go and see him, it should be fine. Hmm. And so we're lucky that you were, obviously. But hmm. you can all these tragic stories you hear of kids around the place. Anything can happen. Well, that's. What I remember my session when I got back with the with the psychiatrist I saw, and he said, you know, like the the unsaid 60, 50s, 60s stories about people just disappearing and all that. Well there were a lot of like acid trips where you just jump off, you know, jump off cliffs and yeah. that sort of thing. And that's, I mean, not, you know, but that, that's, that's the sort of stuff that when you're tinkering around with, um, with potentially uh, dangerous drugs that it can happen. I well, mean, maybe that's the story we've got to get out. Don't be doing that. <laughs> well, that's easier said than done when it's so prevalent. Oh, no, and the I, thing I, is, it's, it's so I'm different. A, a young man, I'm a risk, I was a risk taker, so I can, yeah. un- I can understand exactly how it happens, but it's not that good for your health, is it? Really? Well, I think yeah, you're simplifying it a lot there because it is. There's psychedelics, which are acid, mushrooms, that sort of thing. Then you got your powders, and they all have different, and people have different responses to different things. I know, but unfortunately, we live in a society where they're completely. We don't talk about it. Well, the problem too is that they're made. That we've got the hell's angels are the quality control. Yeah, well. yeah. I yeah. mean, that's the scary part. You hear mm. that that story in Perth last week or the week before where those kids were all very, very ill because the stuff was contaminated. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, got, there's got to be a better answer to that. I, mean, I know even my old man years ago, he was always arguing for decriminalisation of drugs. Yeah. Not because he wanted people to take them, but he didn't want to enshrine this multi, multi, multi million dollar business that mm. all these crooks can run because yeah, yeah. people are going to use it and they're going to sell it. <laughs> And if it's criminalised, they, they, they can control the business. It, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that we don't go down that path. But it's never going to happen because every idiot who votes for Donald Trump will say, well, that just means a lot more people will take drugs, which is a load of crap. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's... For another time. Another <laughs> um, time. No disrespect to Donald Trump. Oh, well, yeah. Or that's something that's going to get started on Don. Um, but do you have any regrets as a father when considering you know, mental health and how you approached it with your children? Well, I don't because we probably didn't... Um, we're probably not... A, you're, only, you're only forced to be aware when you have an issue. And we've always just generally, generally and genuinely assumed that our kids are all okay, mm. which we did with you. 
we assume you're okay until you're not quite okay. Yeah. Um, but I think the the more the this goes on, the more we can help people to actually be more aware of it and look at it because because we, we do know that everyone has anxiety in what they do. That the pressure of performing. Mm. just the pressure of performing for all the kids. You know, you go to year 12 and everyone's under that pressure mm. or you try and play footy or you try and play cricket or whatever you do. There's a lot of pressure on um, and anxiety around performance because we, you're all supposed to be good. And mm. we know not everyone's going to be good and, and even in work environments or if you you know you decide to be a doctor or you decide to be a high-powered high lawyer or whatever, you work and work and work. I mean, there's, there's so many parts of our lives that... that contribute to it which is that thing we were, we were talking a little bit about what you do in the footy environment to help the mental health is actually provide the environment where that stuff the pressure that performs there mm. and the love of performance is there and being as good as you can be is there but it's not that and if you don't you're no bloody good that, yeah, which is yeah. sort of held, being held over our heads to a degree so I think um, yeah. I think I think as a as a parent I mean I could have known a lot more and could have done a bit better but we've always been very sort of alert to it and even but we're fortunate because as we get a bit older and, and educated by our parents even our attitude to diversity like sexual mm. diversity like that was 30 years ago oh, well, I don't know how to deal with this we know how to deal with it it doesn't matter yeah yeah whereas when it did matter and mental health has nothing to do with that but it's a similar issue like it's it's seen that it's, it's not a good thing to be not mentally well but not everyone's mentally well every part of their life well yeah I suppose um we were discussing this earlier, but uh, in terms of actually, I suppose, for people who don't quite understand what uh, a mental disorder actually... Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I find that I still, I still, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I think that's because each, every one of them relies on something different to help. You know, it, you could need some relatively serious uh, medications to help you or you could just need someone to help you get through it yeah. or it'll be every now and again or even you know a few of these little articles we read one of the articles the girls the girls been told it's okay to be sad yeah well sad's a genuine emotion that's right but uh, a lot of mental health is being sad about being sad yeah well so it builds on itself the way, the way I, like the way i see it um and the way i've sort of reflected on how uh, mental a mental illness develops or what sort of grade it is. So everyone obviously feels the emotion of feeling anxiety, feeling anxiety or feeling anxious. Yeah, well, um, that drives performance to a degree. Yeah, I mean, but that's, yeah. And then we have, you know, there's, you can feel depression, you can feel you're depressed. Um, and then of course, there's the next level of actually more of a prolonged period of you feel um, anxious or you feel depressed or um, say something like you have hypochondria or you have an eating disorder or you have uh, OCD and it's more it's just more of a, a thing that stays longer so you can always feel things where you're like rearranging pens you're like well I've got OCD but whether that's actually true it's unlikely but once it starts to become an issue that gets in the way um, that's when you start to go, okay, there probably is something more here. And then there's the next grade of like a sort of more of a chronic thing where it's just, um, you go through your day and you feel these waves of, if you're feeling anxious. So for me, um, my anxiety sort of, um, perpetuates itself through uh, a really tight chest or I get shivers up and down my arms or I get, um, completely overwhelmed or my heart starts racing or I feel very short of breath. And these things can bob up and just in sometimes in moments that I expect and other moments that I don't expect. So same with depression, 
it's it's a very individualized thing but it's just a prolonged period of um being i suppose choked out by uh your mind and feeling like you're a little bit out of you are out of control so with depression you hear all these things about not being able to get out of bed it it can actually be something like that where you're just um so either terrified of getting up or you're just feeling so empty or um just feeling nothing um yeah that we're just reading again reading some of that stuff around this which is really exciting stuff really but the holy butcher story where yeah, she, yeah, yeah. she's got a terminal illness you're going to die so she's saying well stop worrying about all that other stuff yeah <laughs> so it's almost to say well if you put yourself in that position if something real bad's going to happen to you don't you know what this is much less important than that deal with it yeah so my point of that is to saying so a lot of it probably is just about it, being able to talk to someone and going through and say well that is that that's all it is oh okay that's all it is so it's, it's to be able to help you get to that point and saying that's okay so I can I can move on well, which I know it's yeah quite cold, often not as simple cold. as that yeah. but but I mean that's right if if you are diagnosed with something like clinical depression um, you sort of you hit this point where you're like you either surrender to it or you have to try and find a way to deal with it and obviously that's not easy um, but it, I mean, that, that's the thing. You almost have to, as much as the old school attitude was, gruff and all that, but tough enough, and that, yeah. that's not true at all. You say that's probably the worst possible thing you can say. But if you actually... There, there, are, you know, there are ways, I suppose, you can start to try and um, find your, your former self again. Yeah. But you're, never, you're always going to be different because there's going to be in the background there. But, but the other way I look at it too, if you, if you look at the human body and you see all the things that go on, it is it is amazing mm. like how the brain is all of these sort of like electrical things going off telling you what to do and it's all and out of that so make some of this make some of that get a bit of this drug a bit of that drug so once you look at that you realize that maybe a minor chemical imbalance can have a huge impact so oh, yeah, absolutely. so if they've got any way of giving you the odd medication that fixes your chemical imbalance which I, I don't I don't understand all that obviously mm. but it, it is it's you can see why that you can you should be able to fix it or no there's a chance you can fix it just by intervening yes I mean, yeah. you, don't, you yeah. don't feel that way you don't think that way so I mean that's sort of part of what we have to get to because we're all a little bit oh, taking drugs I don't be taking drugs yeah yeah, yeah they're not drugs it's medication it's a different thing it's medication but it's still because it's catching up like this has been going on for however yeah. many hundreds of years, people feeling, well, since the dawn of human age. Um, and now medication seems to be, you know, the stigma has kind of gone, but the, the medication is only just catching up with how sophisticated it is to, to have depression and have anxiety. Um, but I thought we should probably ask another question. Um, I thought this one was kind of relevant for some of the things I've felt uh, over the past seven years and sort of like anxiety has made me preoccupied with death um, and although I'm coming to deal with you this irrational fear I still uh, find it equal parts uh, fascinating and terrifying I suppose um, have you have you been able to deal with your own mortality or it was interesting because I was reading that again the, the bit that Stephen 
Fryer wrote that, whereas he, you know, he nearly killed himself. And I was such an intelligent man. Like, and then everyone says, well, he's got plenty of money. He's got a great job. What's he doing? How can he possibly be depressed? He said, well, I just am. Mm. And he feels lonely. And he says, I shouldn't feel lonely because everyone wants me to come to dinner with them and everyone wants to be my friend. Da, da, da. But I am lonely. Mm. So I can see how, how that can happen. But, but with someone like me, I don't, I don't think about it. I know it's going to happen. But I don't, I don't consider it. I don't consider, well, I do consider the fact that I'm going to die, but I don't think it's going to be tomorrow. Yeah. And that, that's just my, I, I just, for some reason, fortunately, I don't think about that too much. So yeah. I'm lucky, I'm a lucky, I'm a lucky, I've got the right chemicals <laughs> saying the right things to me because I don't actually think about it. And whereas I've just turned 66, so I'm fairly close to death relative, okay. in relative, yeah. relative no, terms. No, no, no. Because we're all going to die. Yeah, yeah. And my dad died at fifty-eight, so I'm outliving him already. So, mm. but I, but I never think about it in that morbid way. So I'm lucky. So I, I do feel for you. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not. You can see a... how a lot of people, that, you know, just the reading the Stephen Fry stuff was really cause yeah, he's such a, yeah. You know, he present. He just he's so eloquent that you you can get what he's thinking, and and you, I feel that sorry for him, and I feel sorry for you in that sense for you to having those thoughts well it's the thing I, I see my mind as my best friend and my worst enemy um so i spend a lot of time up there i'm a deep thinker um and i think it just got got away from me when i, I sort of lost my purpose and i wasn't i wasn't suicidal oh it's interesting um, the purpose thing's interesting isn't it yeah like all the stuff you do at a management level now it, we didn't used to there's a bit of purpose in it but now if you don't have a purpose, you won't achieve what you want. So it's really, it's quite yeah, simple in that you, the human body needs that, what's my purpose? Yeah, and that's what I, I kind of, I kind of got into that zone of, and it was a bit of hypochondria, but also just feeling like, like what, what, what is this? Like, what, what am I doing here? And, and just feeling completely empty and almost soulless. So I was walking around the streets and it was just all grey. And it was it was bizarre because I'm such a you know my whole personality is like large and I think um, and it was this horrible period of just see that's that's the challenge of intellect isn't it because mm. you look at the good old days it, we introduced religions and this is not having to go at religions but they introduced religions so that people didn't have to think about all that stuff mm. the reason you're here is this and when you've done your job and you've been to church all the time and we think you're still okay you'll have this other life afterwards that's the christian belief and i'm, I'm not certain of all the other beliefs but i'm so sure they're based on the same kind of doctrine of and that you just got to believe mate we yeah, don't want you thinking yeah. about this we don't want you considering whether the immaculate conception is possible you just got to believe <laughs> so and and that that was perhaps part of the therapy for mental well, health in, well, in, having, in having, those days, because you don't worry about suppose, it. It's it? the, well, the yeah. purpose, was it? You're one the, of us, and you'll, you'll be purpose. right. And some matter, if you die early, it doesn't really matter, because yeah. you're going up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So whereas now we go, well, we don't... Most kind of... Not intelligent people, that's not fair, but most people <laughs> who really think about it go, oh, I don't, I'm not sure that I want to just believe in that. Yeah. I reckon yeah. that I'm happy with it. My reality is my reality. And which does will lead you to that yeah. morbidity about. So I was that all there is. God, what's what? How am I going to deal with this? Mm. So I do feel feel fit, but that's that's part of the human condition, I think. 
Well, I don't know about you, but this is probably as deeply as we've actually gone into this. So <laughs> I, I thank I thank the opportunity of the podcast to make that happen because, again, it's probably a bit more my personality. I assume everything's good. Don't ask questions if you don't want to know the answers. So I've, I've got a much better feeling of where you are. Um, and I've read a fair bit of the stuff you've written and, and I've heard from other people how powerful it is and how kind of raw it is. So it's this is clearly a bigger, not a problem, but a bigger issue for you than I kind of want to recognise in some way. So what I'm asking now is... A, what, what more do you need? Do you need more from me? Do you need more involvement? How many times do I have to say, how are you going? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean that quite seriously. And it was there, what, and this is probably for all people in your position, like, so what do you need? Because we're all kind of sometimes a bit reticent to go, I need something. You clearly need something every now and again. Tell, tell give me a bit of an insight. Yeah, I mean, it's a, uh yeah, I appreciate the opportunity as well to actually discuss this because it's... Uh, but in terms of ongoing, like, for me, um, I deal with it in a certain way. Um, my writing is a big, big way that I release. Um, and same with... And for me, I'm, I'm getting there. And I, I think I've made some, you know, there's goals that I hit. I think I've set in my own mind and um, I've had trouble with as we know I've had trouble with my drinking um, that has become and I mean it's an issue for a lot of people who are covering things up same with drugs same with um, whatever they have to cover it up with Um, and unfortunately I've used that sometimes a bit of a support mechanism or an escape yeah so when we've had this discussion a few times that no, I'm going to not drink. I'm going to do this. So I, I try and say, yeah, that'd be good. How can I help? Da, da, da. Should I be more, kind of severe on that, or more? No, I think that that would. I mean, you have to make your. You could exactly. It's more like, like if I was 17 and I was then possibly, but when you're 27, it becomes a responsibility thing, I suppose, a personal responsibility. And I must admit, from a social point of view, I, I don't see your drinking as a great problem. It's like all of us sometimes drink too much, but I don't see it. Yeah. Like you feel it much more strongly from a almost a physical wellness Yeah, yeah, I, I feel it. I feel it um, when I go too far. And uh, I don't, like, that's the thing. I'm not, I'm not, it's not like I'm every night, you know, but it's a binging thing. And it's so normalised now that... Um, it doesn't look like a problem from afar, but it has become a problem for me. Um, so I, I'm sure you remember the, the times when I'd be sitting on the, like laying on the couch, pretty much paralyzed the next day after a big night. And that was because I just was almost scared to move because I was, you know, yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's definitely... Yeah, your yeah. nature, that, those things, so even when you were a kid, red cordial, you weren't good with red cordial. <laughs> so I wish, you know, but I'm, yeah. I'm half joking about that. But, yeah. but that's right. So you are, those sorts of things, um, whatever you call those things, no, they're no good for you. Mm. So you've got to be pretty careful with them. And alcohol mm. is certainly one of them. Yeah. Um, I suppose and in terms of relationship stuff, and that, that was kind of my point before. That that yeah. contributes to your issues. Yeah, yeah. And you can probably, if you're clever enough to not, that probably may reduce some of the issues you've got. As, as it's it's 
The alcohol thing is an issue for me because it's everywhere. Um, and it's not like I could definitely make, you know, it's like it's that willpower. Sometimes you just you just feel like you're at a social situation. I think I feel an anxiety going in there. And then there's almost like a release. You have a beer or have a couple of beers and you feel like there's this sort of, you feel like a minor little blanket or something occurred that you're like, okay. Rather, yeah, it's better so, to have one than not to have one. Exactly, exactly. And it's and because there's always that, you know, sort of a pressure to drink, um, it makes it the easy option rather than the hard option of me sitting there and going, okay, I can go without, but if I'm in a social setting, you almost feel obliged and it's ridiculous but for me I've always had there's always just been the little things that how um, I suppose my anxiety sort of comes up or reveals itself and one of them is I've had a dramatic fear of failure um, and I don't know if that's been pushed on by you know, whatever it has come about the other is just there's just a questioning there's like just a questioning of am I good enough or am I doing that and, you know yeah. and this is funny from my point of view as your father and I'm relatively, we're relatively close yeah. I've always felt that you've had an enormous belief in yourself and virtually tried everything yeah yeah I would have thought you've got no fear of failure no well, clearly anxiety and performance but that's that's kind of a driver as much as anything else I've never noticed it like because everything you've always had a go at everything and mm. to my mind done pretty well at most things as well so I don't know what your fear of failure is uh, well, I, don't, I don't notice it the way you feel as though you have it yeah um, I don't know it's just and that's the that's the mystery of some of these things yeah, I guess, that, I guess to... that's the anxiety is it? you feel yeah. I, don't, I don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist obviously yeah I, and I think I suppose one of the reasons is just the relationship I've always, uh, you know, as you see your father in this light of being, you know, your um, your hero, I suppose. So you're blaming me? <laughs> no, not at all. Me. Not at all. I'm just <laughs> saying. Uh, and I've, I've I've talked to people who have no, had fathers. No, I shouldn't have said that. No, it's no, supposed no. to be funny. I know, but it it just comes with that pressure, and it's as a kid because we're kids, and you're not really, you don't quite. There's no logic, or there is. You're slowly working it out that you think that other kids are going to look at you and go, they were asking the questions, or oh, why aren't you as good as your dad, or why aren't you this, and I was like a short kid and all that, and all those insecurities sort of stack mm. up, and that that's not a, like, it's not a unique thing, I'm sure it happens to a myriad of, of kids and at, all over the shop, but for some reason for me, I always just, I felt this, I don't know, just this this need to fulfil something or to show that I was worthy of. So that's my <laughs> question. So what yeah. is there anything I could have done in? What like could have? You know. well, it could have given me better jet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm, and that's the thing. I'm really and there are so many things I am proud of about myself, but there are these other things that have for some reason have just and it may have been ticked off when I was twenty, um, where it was always in me, but it has. There are those moments where it just, and you're by yourself and there's this, they, they stack on each other where, you, you know, these doubts come up. And that's a big thing of how my, I suppose, yeah, the anxiety I feel, it's just everything, it starts to, if you're in a bad place, things start to stack up on so top how, of each other. So how are you dealing with that? Like, what what do you do about that? This is probably for everyone else as much as... Yeah, well... Just- 
it's it's a process and I know a lot of people out there and I have friends who are dealing with it and I've told them I've said this this is a process and it takes time it takes self-management you have to things you got to change in your life and one for me would be alcohol but for other people it might be uh, the fact that they they don't exercise enough or just these little things that it's more it's like a lifestyle there are other lifestyle decisions that can start to take a little bit of the pressure off then there's a you know I suppose the philosophical questions um, you know like what, what is this what, why do I have such a fear of failure why do I have uh, this need to be perfect why do I have this and I think that it takes a, a lot of self-reflection and for me I've reflected so much that I think I've got to a point where now it's not such a jungle up there. I think I've released a bit of that pressure. In, in a yeah. funny way, this whole kind of mental health thing has helped the way we coach our players, not just in footy but in cricket and whatever. Because I think that thing you said, that, that acceptance of your not being perfect, the acceptance of your vulnerability has become part of the kind of the narrative for the last few years. We, mm. we never hear about that. Yeah. You know, you're great. You've got to be great. You, know, you want to be great. Except that you're vulnerable. Except that you're not. Yeah. Move on. Like, yeah. And that, that's some of the stuff that that's kind of like almost lay helping people not be, you know, mentally challenged. Yeah. In yeah. A way. So it's, it's it's interesting that you you say you say that. Well, it's a big thing of revealing who you are and being your authentic self. Because if you're trying to be someone you're not, that's when there are things that creep up and. You know, it's about it is about releasing the pressure. And for some people, that might be if they're feeling sad, just let them feel sad, and that that can be um, if you have a friend who is uh, looking down, and you sort of go to them, oh come on, chin up, mate, you know, get on with it, and have a few beers or whatever. That might be the the last thing they need. That probably is the last thing they need. Um, now we get to a point where it's like, well, we should be able to talk about our emotions. We should be able to talk about what we're going through, and it is scary. Uh, because I suppose life is scary, isn't it? Like there are aspects of it and it's exciting and it's enjoyable and there are other things, of course, but there are times when you're going to go through rough trots that are um, you, you're going to have to discover or look into that side of yourself that you're not so proud of and that you're that you're scared of, I suppose. And, um, well, this has been very helpful for me. I hope it's been helpful for for you, because I got a much better understanding of what you're going yeah. through, and there yeah. you are, which um, can't be a bad thing. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I mean, it's um, it's a hard one because I mean, you know, people go through this, and you need your pillars of support, and that's I suppose that's for everyone, isn't it? Mm. Like you see, uh, young men and women, and they'll make a choice that. You know, to end their life or that sort of thing, and and I'm not saying you know that's, but that that's that's what happens if you actually you have to be able to talk about this. You have to, you know, go and get help and um, look at the options you have because there are a lot of there are a lot of options um, for dealing with this, and you know, but you've I suppose there you've either got to be the one who accepts that they've got to um, yeah. start dealing with it or. Yeah, there's been too many tragedies, hasn't it? I remember that mm. that lovely girl that uh, your elder brother knew well, and she was just she's a terrific kid, but she had some issues and hated her medication, I think, and then oh, it was awful. Mm. Yeah, it's really 
awful stuff and there must be there must be a better way than that we've all got to work harder to make sure that doesn't happen it's uh, let's it's a difficult it's a difficult kind of conversation to have, but I think what we're what we're really trying to do. We've had it, yeah, I know it's um it's I thought this was kind of like a framework for having these tough conversations, and um, maybe it's been a little bit one sided of me talking about, <laughs> uh, but I'm really thankful that um, we could have this chat, and um, whether anyone <laughs> listens to it or. But it, it's well, such yeah, a helpful. Well, this is very personal to about us. So this is this is happening all over the place. Exactly right. It would be at all helpful. They're, we, uh, and they're very difficult conversations to have. But uh, it's it's if you think that someone in your life is having a difficult period, or you're having a difficult period, there we're hopefully getting to that stage where you can have that conversation with um, at least a select few people within your life. Maybe not everyone, but enough that. At the very least, you can say, "Well, I'm, I'm really, I'm really struggling with this, and I can't get a hold of it." And you can start that process because it's early intervention. It's, yeah, that's uh, true. yeah, and, and that's uh, what again, just finishing reading those articles. A lot of it is about that. What there are interventions, there are things you can do. There are there's stats that tell you that we're getting better at this. Yeah, there are like. Whilst if you if you're feeling pretty bad about yourself, you're not thinking that, but that's the reality, and there is a way that someone can help exactly. as long as we listen yeah. to each other yeah and there are plenty of um, resources out there for anyone who's listening and um, struggling but anytime I've send me a message I'm happy to talk to you but um, yeah Neil uh, thanks for the conversation fantastic for the, uh, yeah. <laughs> see you later see ya If you or anyone you know might be distressed from any of the points raised in this episode, then you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Kids Helpline 1800 55 1800 or Headspace 03 9027 0100.